there is something that grabs my attention where I become kind of mesmerized when I see things that seem to me as unstoppable. I've had this happen in different moments of my life. Uh, for one of them, when I have seen videos of, of trains that are plowing through incredibly snowy areas and, and they have big plows on the front of their locomotives and, and seeing them just scatter all of that snow as they just kind of plow through. And just the power of the locomotive discarding anything in its path, it, it's, it's mesmerizing to me. Uh, another moment that I, I, I have also had where I became mesmerized this last year was when I was, when I was watching baseball. Uh, I was watching a player who I have just become incredibly fond of, uh, that is on the Minnesota Twins. It's a guy who spent 10 years in the minor leagues, uh, named Williams Astudio. And get this, his nickname, La Tortuga, which means the turtle. And I'm pretty sure you don't get a better nickname than that. Anyway, there was a game this last year where the Twins were playing the, the evil empire, the New York Yankees. And Williams Astudio was on first, and then another player was on second. And Max Kepler comes up to bat. And Kepler hits this just slicing ball in between center and left field. And, and the ex-twin Aaron Hicks is, I mean, he is on just full speed on his way to the ball. And, and he, he's right there getting out to the ball on just full out dives. And the ball skips off of his glove. Uh, fortunately for the Yankees in this moment, the left fielder was, was backing up the play. And so it is going to be a race to get the ball to home plate. But Astudio, the Tortuga, is, I mean, chugging full speed. And I'm pretty sure that, that no matter what kind of sign that third base coach put up, whether it was the stop sign or the like, let's go home, baby, right? I mean, there was no way that Astudio was going to stop. I mean, this train, this turtle was coming home. And I could just picture his face when he was rounding third and, and, and heading home. And, and I just, I was just in awe with this little splash of just pure joy and a little bit of laughter mixed in. And I mean, this guy at that moment, he was an unstoppable force. And, and in those moments, we're just taken aback from that kind of power. You know, when we think about rushing water and the unstoppable force that it is and, and what it communicates to us, for, for us, when, we, when we're here, it really hits home for us uh, here at Triumph. Um, for one, living in the, in the Red River Valley, we have had a front seat time and time again on what flooding can do and the difficulty in stopping it. But we also know this all too well because of our partnership with inspiration point and, and, and being on Spitzer Lake and, and that for many of us here kind of feeling like a second home. And I remember when I received the news of Spitzer Lake and, and it being overflowed and which was really going to be shutting down the camp at, at their location for the summer. And, and it was just hard news to get. And so when we hear the word unstoppable, there can be many pictures that come to our mind. 
Today, we're going to look at the unstoppable kingdom of God as we see that talked about in our text. As Jesus was near the Sea of Galilee, he began a series of teaching with those around him in parables. So today, we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark and really his account of this teaching where Jesus speaks of the kingdom. So let's look at our text here today. It comes from Mark chapter 4, 26 through 34. And starting verse 26, it says this, He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. You know, I think to most people who were onlookers during Jesus' ministry would have thought that this ministry was not that impressive, especially in comparison to what it could have been. I mean, as Jesus was fully God and fully man, I mean, he could have shown miraculous power all day long and every day. But when we look at his life, that was not what he did. I mean, most people, if they had the opportunity and that kind of power, I bet you they would have announced themselves like Prince Ali in Aladdin, right? He's got 95 white Persian monkeys. He's got the monkeys. Let's see the monkeys. All right, that's my last one. Okay. Um, But right, I mean, so many would have expected Jesus to have like a little bit more flair and be a little more impressive to those who were witnesses. I mean, they they would have liked him to have shown off right away that he was the king of the universe, that he was the coming Messiah that everyone was waiting for. But what we have instead is this unstoppable kingdom through a humble beginning. You see, what this shows us is how the kingdom of God begins and how it grows. We see these humble beginnings being exemplified in things like the incarnation beginning in the womb of a teenager of no notes, the birth of the Savior in the barn of an inn, and a place like Bethlehem, which was really not a place of any importance. I mean, fishermen and run-of-the-mill guys who just carried the message that was really the most important message and the most important thing to have ever happened, and they were the ones who were called to carry it. I mean, it's women who are witnesses to the resurrection in a culture who really saw them as second class. And what Jesus does throughout his mission and his ministry is he turns our expectations on their head. I mean, we see him do this not only in these examples by how 
uh, um, by what we see, but how he produces wisdom from the cross, how he shows victory from, from death and, and life from the grave. Now, what we find in our text is Jesus proclaiming what the kingdom of God is like. Now, if you look at the Gospels, the, the kingdom of God is actually mentioned 126 times in the Gospels. Yet, when you look at the rest of the New Testament, it's only mentioned 34. And so, I, I think we have to be asking the kind of questions like, what is the kingdom of God? I mean, is it the church or is it something more than that? I mean, why did Jesus talk about it so much? And why did he need to explain what is it like? I mean, these are questions that we should ponder. Now, to answer the, the first one of what the kingdom of God is, it's simply this. It's God's reign. Now, I'm not talking rain from the sky. I'm talking R-E-I-G-N, that kind of rain. It is his sovereign action in our world to redeem and restore and deliver his people and at a future time bring full redemption in a new heaven and a new earth. And so this is where it is a present reality in seeing God's reign, but it's also a promised future in the restoration and creation of the new heaven and the new earth. You know, some have uh, explained the kingdom of God and, and his reign in, in three words. And those three words are dwelling, dominion, and dynasty. And I, I think those are three good words to kind of stick in our mind when we think about that. So the kingdom of God is, is shown in his dwelling in us, right? I mean, meaning the body of believers where he is presently acting through his plan and his people. But the kingdom of God is also shown not only in that, but in his dominion, right? Over the grave and as he sits on his throne. But lastly, it's, it's not only his dominion, but it is shown also as he has laid out his dynasty of what we are gaining eternally and forever because of what we have received from Christ. And when we look at what we have been given, I mean, there is, there is nothing in this world. There is nothing in this world that can compare to what we gain through Christ. Hear these words from Philippians 3.8, and, and they remind us of this, right? Verse 8 says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So Jesus is trying to tell his disciples and others what the kingdom of God is like, and he does that in parables that we find in our texts. He starts out by saying, if we look back at, at verse 26, he says, a man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Now, as we hear that, I mean, I feel like, doesn't this kind of make us eat a little bit of our humble pie? I mean, I think we, we think we know how growth happens when it comes to growing in Christ. 
or how the kingdom of God is supposed to grow. But as we look at the disciples as an example of this, and we, we see that they believe that the kingdom of God would grow and, and it would be established by a revolution and that Jesus would then be the earthly king. I mean, they thought it was going to come by the sword. But that's not what happened, right? I think we tend to think that the kingdom of God grows through the triumphant or the best of times. I think we tend to think the same thing about our own growth too. I mean, take about, think about this for a second. When you look at your life, I mean, ask yourself, when are those moments, when are those most substantial times that you felt that you grew the most? I mean, was it in all the like good highlight reel moments of your life or or was it through some of the more difficult times? I, we, we think that people change by getting their act together, by, by doing more of the right things and less of the wrong things. And, and, and we are always surprised when a person seems to have changed by putting in human effort only to regress from those things later on. See, the more that we lead from the law in order to grow someone, the less grace has the ability to actually bring about change. We also think that sometimes that the kingdom will, will go forward or, or growth in our churches will happen when we just, you know, kind of convert the right person of influence. I mean, if we could just get, you know, that city councilman or, or that political official or, or, or that business person, that celebrity, that captain of the football team or that head cheerleader, you see, then the church and the kingdom can grow. I mean, I, I heard this kind of rumbling happen a few months ago when it had come out that, that Kanye West had become a Christian with the release of his uh, new album, Jesus is King. You know, and I heard many people say that, you know, if Kanye, right, was, was a follower of Jesus, then we could change mainstream music to being music that just solely glorifies Christ. Now, I'm not making uh, a commentary one way or the other uh, here, you know, if this is, you know, if this is what we should do or, or this is what should happen or not. But what I am saying is that this is not how we see Jesus bring about the kingdom through the important flashly. People of influence is not where he started. I mean, Jesus took his message on the outskirts of society. I mean, to the, to the least of these people who are on the fringes. Jesus is looking for those who are forsaken. He's looking for those who know they need a doctor. And he builds his kingdom not on great entrepreneurs, but on the gospel. We see this idea continue when we, when we go back to our text. In verse 28, it says, All by itself the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. Now when it says, all by itself... What it's do, what, what, what it's communicating is, is that it's, it's not by our own effort, meaning that then when we look at our own human effort, that is not the thing that actually makes us grow. It, it is instead by what the seed is and the surroundings that it's in. We think by our own human effort, we can produce growth. And, and, and because of that, we, we find ourselves all the time putting way too much stake in 
our own ability to be the primary factor, which really in the end burns us out and and makes us feel like a failure when when we inevitably don't meet these unending expectations. But, But what also happens and what we also do is we take this same idea of growth and and how it happens in us, and we put it on other people. We then think that some people are, are just, they're too far gone. We look at, at some situations or people and think, you know, they have no chance of turning to the gospel and its saving power or to grow because we don't see them putting in the same effort as us. I mean, the kingdom of God and its sovereign plan is unstoppable regardless if we think someone or something is too far beyond repair. See, the kingdom of God does not work because of us, but often in spite of us. We spend so much time thinking about what we can do to make something better or to affect change. I mean, what do I have to say or, or what do I have to do in order to make this thing happen? But Christianity, it's based upon us coming to the conclusion that there is no self-help book, there is no get-rich-quick scheme, there is no amount of self-determination, there is no rising or pulling up from our own bootstrap that's going to fix it. That the message of Christianity is, is that we can't do it. But God can, and God did. That's the message, plain and simple. It's beyond comprehension and beyond our logic. You know, whether you are, are, are trying to combat sin and, 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 or addiction or, or gossip, it is God going to be the one that will bring you through. We can look at the time we are in and look at our own lives or the church or our world and, and feel as though there was no good that will come out of this. And we're just going to have to dig ourselves out of the hole that, that we didn't even dig. And for some of you, financially, that, that might very well be the case. You know, and maybe for, for some of you, it might not be financial, but it might be the case, you know, for your faith. My, my wife, Mary, is a, is a teacher, and, and I have heard her reflect on how students have had all types of reactions to online learning. And some of you are already like, online learning. Okay, I, I'm, I feel you. I feel you, dog. Okay. But, you know, she's reflected on it and she's talked to me about it. And she said, you know, some have continued to do well as they, as they had before when there was live teaching. And, and, and some have gotten worse um, during this time uh, because, you know, it was just a change of environment. It's different and they're not learning the same. They're not attuned to this. And, and they need a lot of that just one-on-one relationship and they're not getting that. And then there's some that are actually doing better because they're not as distracted and, and they're being able to do that. You know, and I think, I think when I heard that from my wife Mary, I, I think that this is true with, with our relationships to God, right? Like some have continued as they were before. Some have gotten worse during, during this isolation and some have actually grown closer. But no matter where you fall on that spectrum, Can't we just thank God that none of our feelings are dependent on God's love for us or his faithfulness? I mean, God's reign and rule starts in a way that is unexpected. 
It begins in this small and unnoticed way, which was different than what was popularly expected. This then is used by Jesus as as he compares the kingdom to a mustard seed, which was an incredibly small seed, but could bloom into a bush that was as large as like three by 12 feet. And what's really being illustrated here is a small beginning, but something that can have exponential growth. But no seed grows because the sower is willing with all his might. See, it is the power of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit that does that work. I want you to be reminded of what Scripture says of the power of the gospel. In Romans 1.16 it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, it says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of His power. In Colossians 1, 5 and 6, it says, The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. I mean, this is a train that we can't stop. I mean, this is a locomotive that starts out in this unexpected way, but continues to grow and to grow and to grow. And part of the beauty of the gospel is that you don't have to be great to wield its power. It's been said that that through the good news being proclaimed of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the same God that made us humans out of dirt will take dirty people and make a mighty church. I believe that God has great things in store for his church during this storm. That there has been a refining that has happened for all of us to an extent as we have all learned in a more significant way what is important. The kingdom is already, but it's also a not yet. We see in scripture how the the kingdom is already, right? Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand, as it says in Matthew chapter 3. But it's also this this not yet, as we see in in the 8th chapter of Romans, where it tells us that that we groan as we await the redemption of our bodies. Right. So this is the kingdom. It has come, but it's still in the future. Are you praying and you hoping for how that is going to happen and how you are going to play a role in that. That is why we are, are taught to pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we got to pray that. We've got to ask for that and plead for that to our Lord. But at the same time, we can also rest in the reality that the war over sin and the victory over the grave has been won. You got to rest in the reality and look with anticipation on the future. I'd love to end our time by praying the Lord's Prayer uh, together. And so if you would join with me.
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.